So today I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, 43 through 47 is where we're going to read. Matthew 5, 43 through 47. And I want to begin today, I want to begin today by asking you a question. My question is this, do you have an enemy? Or have you ever had an enemy? And maybe as I ask the questions, someone's name came to mind for you, or an image, their picture, their face came to mind. It might be a person who cheated you out of something, or maybe they scammed you out of money. It might be somebody at work that makes your life miserable, and you're just convinced that they're their life's mission is to make you miserable. Uh, for some people, their enemy could be an ex-husband or an ex-wife who makes things difficult and turns everything into a dramatic battle. Or maybe somewhere in your past, somebody told vicious lies about you. Maybe even now, they're telling vicious lies about you. Many times we see this happen in social media because you can get behind uh, you know, social media and, and, and talk about people that you and say things that maybe you wouldn't say to them, uh, you know, face to face. Or maybe just somebody who tears you down or constantly takes advantage of you. For students, sometimes it's a, it's a bully at school who harasses them. But even as, as adults out of school, sometimes we have friends that, that betray us. You might still be dealing right now with the consequences of what your enemy did to you. Maybe you're an adult and this happened years ago and you're still dealing with it because the actions of your enemy have affected your life. So we're going to talk about that today as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And we come to the last of the six antitheses. And I'm so glad that I won't have to say that word anymore after this week. The last of the six antitheses. And we find this one in Matthew 5, beginning with verse 43, where Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the, uh, and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you, are not even rather, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not, even pagans do that. So as I, as I said, uh, this is the last of six antitheses which, in which Jesus corrected the interpretations of Old Testament teachings by the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and, and scribes. And so what they were doing is that these Pharisees and, and uh, religious leaders, they were distorting Old Testament teachings by making them less demanding for themselves. And in some cases, they were making them more demanding for the people other than themselves. So this is true of all six, six of these comparisons that we've looked at, but it's especially true with this sixth one. And so what the religious leaders were teaching 
came from Leviticus 19 with one important distinction. So I'm going to see how many of you are sharp enough to find the distinction between what Leviticus 19 taught, the Old Testament, and the Old Testament law, and what the Pharisees were teaching. Here's Leviticus 19.18. Here's what it says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what they taught, right? That's what the Old Testament taught. Verse 18. Now look at verse 43. What's different between verse 43 of Matthew 5? What's different between that and Leviticus 19.18? There's a, a small distinction there. There's a small change. Did anybody see it? Has anybody caught it? What, what the religious leaders were teaching was based on Leviticus 19.18, but they left off some words. They left off the words as yourself, so that love your neighbor as yourself became love your neighbor. That's what they were teaching. So Jesus said, here's what you're hearing from the Pharisees. Love your neighbor. Right? That's a small change, but it changed or it turned a rule about how God's people should love into a rule about who God's people should love. It, it, it turned it into a rule from how they should love into who they should love. The way they should love and the way we should love is as ourselves. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. But when you say just love your neighbor, you're not, you're not addressing how, but you're just addressing who you are to love. And so they use this little change to justify prejudice and 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 to justify seeing everyone who wasn't just like them as an enemy. In other words, the Jews only considered other Jews to be their neighbors. Everybody else was an enemy. And the Pharisees only considered the Jews that obeyed all their laws, the 613 laws, as their neighbors. Everybody else, if they, if, if they were Jew, but they didn't obey fully, according to them, that they were also neighbors. Which leads us to another way that the Pharisees corrupted this Old Testament teaching. And it really goes right along with the first one. Because when, when you say love your neighbor, then you're talking about who you're going to love. And, and by implication, they taught that that meant that if you love your neighbor, you must also hate your enemy. So Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the Pharisees were saying. But that was not what was in the original commandment. Go back to Leviticus 19.18 and any, anywhere else in the Old Testament where this is mentioned. And there was nothing there about hating your enemy. God never told his people to hate their enemies. Now much of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount would have raised some eyebrows. Right? He, he was challenging them. To, uh, to think differently, to consider the condition of their hearts. And a lot of things he said would have raised their eyebrows. But I think this probably raised the blood pressure of the Pharisees when Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. I can imagine the Pharisees saying, did he just say 
love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And so this was totally new. This was something they had not even considered. It wasn't anywhere near their, their radar when Jesus said, love your enemies. It was shocking. And so let's, let's learn today from, from Jesus' words, what does it mean to love your enemies? I have some things to, uh, that I hope will help you remember what it means to love your enemies. And I've just drawn these from this passage. First of all, loving your enemies means actively pursuing their good. Love, loving your enemies means actively pursuing their good. And the idea of actively pursuing their good really has its roots in the Old Testament. But Jesus, of course, takes it deeper than that. And he raises a bar on that. But in Exodus 23, 4 and 5, here's what we read. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off. Now, remember, the enemy's ox or donkey, not your neighbor's. But if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you, there's the enemy part, right? Who hates you, fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. So in the Old Testament, there was already a command to help your enemies, but there was nothing about loving your enemies. This was new, and as I said, it was shocking and I imagine it angered uh, the Pharisees. One of the reasons they wanted Jesus arrested, one of the reasons they wanted him kill, killed was because he, he always um, rebuked them openly. And when they were saying, love, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, Jesus said, no, don't hate your enemies. Where'd y'all get that? You should not only love your neighbor, you should love your enemies. And so they, they took it personally, and they should have, because he was directing it to them. And uh, they became angry with him. But loving your enemies, even for us today, we're not Pharisees, I hope. But for, for some people, and a lot of us, it still is difficult to love our enemies. Because loving our enemies is not just an emotion. Loving our enemies is, is love in action. And how many of you know it is very difficult to, to change your feelings? You might not be able to change your feelings, but you can choose your actions you can't change how you feel but you can choose what you do and loving your enemies is not an emotional sentiment but it's the active pursuit of your enemy's good it's actively pursuing their good not because you're forced to or even because you want to but because you choose to do it you choose to do it and that's not normal to human nature. That's not, that's not an emotion that just automatically arises, but, but rather it's uh, about your will. This is a decision. This is a decision that we must make. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And, and, the, and Luke's telling of this, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do, do good and do what's right. And we'll get there in a second. But what he's telling them, look, even when you're hated, do good and do what's right. Don't allow their actions to determine your response. Look for ways to help, ways to give, ways to be positive. Offer practical help. Do it as a favor. If you go to Starbucks, 
take him a cup that you didn't poison, right? Or spit into. Love your enemies. So I mentioned Luke. Go with me to Luke 6. This is uh, Luke's telling of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's, here's what we read in Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. I mean, we might wonder, is that even possible? Is it, is it even possible when somebody curses you to respond with words of blessing for that person? Is that doable? Jesus is saying here, look, don't get into an argument. Don't get into an argument with your enemy. Don't match criticism for criticism or insult for insult or put down for put down or social media post for social media post. Don't do that. Instead, choose the right response, and the response that he wants us to choose is to build people up who put you down. Bless those who curse you. Encourage them. Find something positive to say. And don't just say, well, my mom taught me if I can't say something positive, not to say anything at all, so I won't say anything at all. No, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Because we want to try to find ways, and I understand this, folks. I'm human, right? I understand this. And we want to try to find a way to obey what Jesus said without really obeying what Jesus said. So maybe instead of responding with insults and uh, insults and curses, we, we just say, well, I'm just going to ignore that. And we act like that person doesn't exist. You're going to ignore him. You're going to ignore her. You're going to ignore what they said. But Jesus is really raising the bar on us here because he says, that's not enough. That's not enough. Your response to your enemy should be an action. Do good. Bless them. Bless those that curse you and pray for those who persecute you, who mistreat you. Pray for them. And this is where some Christians say, oh, I got that one down. I'm praying for them. You better believe I'm praying for them. I'm praying, um, you know, a, a car wrecks, and I'm praying lightning. And No. No, that's not what he's talking about. And we know that. But, you know, what happens is, and I've heard this so much, we, we read the, uh, some of the psalms, they're called the imprecatory psalms, in which David and, and the other psalmist are, are praying for evil to come or for bad to come to the evil people as part of God's judgment. And, and that's fine, but that's not our prayer pattern. That's not what Jesus said. When, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks where Jesus uh, said, um, here's how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, bring down judgment on my enemies. That's not how we should pray. That's how David and some of the other psalmists pray, you know, they're talking about the enemies of Israel, but that's not our pattern. That's not how we pray. We pray blessing. We pray provision. We pray protection. We pray wisdom. 
We pray for God to open doors of blessing for our enemy. And over the long haul, I have learned that it's almost impossible to pray for someone and to hate them at the same time. If you're really praying for them. Because when you start praying for, for them, your attitude changes, your heart softens toward your enemy. And it, it probably won't happen overnight, but over time, God will soften your heart. When you, uh, and when you no longer hate your enemy, that's when you win. So this, again, was groundbreaking for the Pharisees and religious leaders. And really, it's groundbreaking for us as well because... There's so much anger in our society today. There's so much offense in our society today that to respond that way is, is shocking. It's different. But that's what we're called to do. And secondly, what I see here is this, that loving your enemies speaks to the nature of God. It speaks to the nature of God. Look at verses 44 and 45. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so, I want to be clear about this. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying and what Jesus is teaching. I want to be clear about the fact that loving your, your neighbor and loving your enemy is not pragmatic. It's not practical. In other words, what I mean by that is it's not a strategy to get what we want. Like, I'm going to love my enemy until I can turn her into a friend. Well, Jesus never said that would happen. It, we're not doing it just to get something, even though it's something that, that we see as being good. I'd love to turn enemies into friends. But Jesus isn't saying, love your enemy and, and before you know it, you'll have a friend. No, it's not pragmatic. But the argument of some people is, well, I, I, I can't do that because not everybody practices turning the other cheek and, and loving your enemy. And I don't want to be the first one to do that. Being kind isn't working for me anymore, but I don't want to be the person to actually love my enemy. So what we get is anger and hate and response for anger and hate. We get an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and everybody's walking around blind and toothless. But what God calls us to do is to be like Him. This is His nature. We do it because this is His nature, not because it works. See, I... I I've been guilty of saying this and, and um, in the past, but, but uh, I don't know that it's really correct to say prayer works. As a, when we talk about prayer, I'm, I'm, you know, get back to talking about this, but when we talk about prayer, sometimes I say, well, you know, prayer works. Well, yeah, but that makes prayer to seem as it's something pragmatic, something we do because it works. So does that mean that if it doesn't work, you don't pray? No, I mean, I guess prayer works. Yeah, I get that. But we pray because it's how we communicate with God. It's how we grow. It's how we bless people. Whether it works or not, we pray. And so sometimes we look at all that God does for us, and we see it in a very practical, very pragmatic sense. I love what I read from a book that I recently 
uh, discovered I, uh, from a couple of different people, or maybe more that mentioned this book. I was like, this is, okay, I need to look into this book. It's called, the book is called Resident Aliens. It's, it's by uh, uh, a theologian named uh, Stanley Harwas. And here's what he wrote. I want to share this quote from his book. He says, the basis for the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount is not what works, but rather the way God is. Cheek turning, and we would add also, you know, uh, loving your enemies, is not advocated as what works. It usually does not. But advocated because this is the way God is. God is kind to the ungrateful and selfish. This is not a strategy for getting what we want, but the only manner of life available now that in Jesus we have seen what God wants. We seek reconciliation with the neighbor, not because we will feel so much better afterward, but because reconciliation is what God is doing in the world in Christ. Do you see what he's saying? Love your enemy because God loves his enemies. Jesus had enemies and he loved them. Love your enemies because that's the nature of God. Not because it's going to get us something in return. Oh, people will think, oh, he's, he's so magnanimous. He's so giving. He's so forgiving. No, we don't do it for that. Because people may not say that. People will say, you know what? You're a doormat. You're letting people walk all over you. Being kind doesn't work. We've got we to fight back. We've got to push back. And uh, that's not the nature of God. When Jesus was dying on the cross in your place for, for your sins, for the wrongs that you committed, he looked at all those people who were unjustly uh, torturing him and, and they killed them. He looked at them, Jews and Gentiles alike. They represent all humanity. They represent us. The Bible says that we're all, all of us are Christ killers. And Jesus saw them. And what did Jesus do? You know, he could have called, he could have called for a legion of angels to wipe everybody out. A legion of angels to come and, and, to, and to save him. But he didn't. He turned the other cheek. He loved his enemies and he prayed for them that were persecuting him, that were mistreating him. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can we pray for our enemies? Can you pray for your enemy honestly and say, Lord, forgive her. Lord, forgive him. The way he's treating me is, is he's being cruel. Whatever the case might be, the lies that this person is telling on me, Lord, forgive her. Give her a chance to find forgiveness. Give her a chance to, to be saved if she's not been saved before. Jesus prayed for his enemies. And because of that, we can do that ourselves to those that persecute us and, and mistreat us. Then the, the last thing, the third thing that we learn from here is that loving your enemies is not self-serving. And this goes along with with. Uh, Loving our enemies is not pragmatic. Loving your enemies is not self-serving. In other words, we're not doing it just to get something in return for us. Matthew 5.46 reads like this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, you know, people who look like you, people who speak the same language as you, People who vote like you. If you greet only your own people, 
What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? See, what Jesus is telling us here is that loving those who only return or express love to you, that kind of love cheapens and degrades Christian love. This kind of love where we only love those who can love us back, who can bless us back, isn't real love. It's more about helping yourself. It's self-serving love. And Jesus gave us two reasons to, criti to criticize this, this love, this false love, this weak love. First of all, he says, this type of love doesn't deserve a reward in the future judgment. Did you catch that? He, he said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? It's like what he teaches in Matthew 6.1, and that's going to be our next sermon in Matthew 6.1, where people do things only for show. People do good things only for show or only for selfish reasons. And Jesus is saying, if you do that, you don't get a reward beyond just feeling good for what you did. That's your reward. You're not going to re get a reward when the day of judgment comes. Your reward is that you feel good and maybe that people... Uh, Compliment you on social media, pat your back. Oh, you did so good. And so that kind of reward, that kind of love rather, doesn't deserve a reward from God. Secondly, this kind of love, Jesus said, was a, a love that was common among tax collectors in Jesus' day. Now, tax collectors were disliked. They were hated by the Jews because they worked with the Romans who ruled over the Jews. And so tax collectors didn't really have a salary. Uh, they worked on commission. They worked on commission. So they went to go collect taxes from their own people for the government that had them oppressed. And they were uh, allowed to charge more than what the people owed so they could keep the excess for themselves. But they would, when they, when they charged beyond the taxes, I mean, they... They would speak. Speaking of excess being excessive, they would charge excessive uh, amounts, and so the tax collectors didn't have a salary. They worked in commission, but they were rich, and they have gotten rich on the backs of the the people, the taxpayers, and so the people uh, saw them as licensed robbers. That's what they called them, licensed robbers. They were thieves, and they were considered also they were considered impure. And so that meant that anything that they touched was thought to be impure. So Jewish law said that the Jews couldn't touch any money that had touched the hands of tax collectors because that money was impure because of the way they despised tax collectors. In fact, tax collectors were occasionally kicked out of certain communities. They had restrictions against them. Tax collectors couldn't be judges. They couldn't, they couldn't testify in court. Their word wasn't good. So by comparing self-serving love to tax collectors, Jesus gave them a stinging rebuke. When he said, if all you do is love people who love you back, then you're like tax collectors. Well, people who followed Jewish laws didn't want to be seen as being similar to tax collectors. But the point that Jesus was making is that that true love for our, our enemies, your enemies, is, is not uh, self-serving. doesn't only do what is beneficial to you. And when you love people 
only people who can love you back, then that's self-serving. When you love people who hate you, then that's the word is actually agape love, the word that Jesus used. When um, you encourage and you pray for people that look like you and, and that act like you and that believe like you, that's good, but that's self-serving when you don't do that for people who hate you and who mock you and who persecute you. Let me finish with this. How many of you know this feeling when somebody has done you wrong, they've, they've uh, spread lies about you, they've talked about you. Maybe you haven't seen them in a few months and all of a sudden you run into them somewhere, maybe in church, maybe out shopping or at a restaurant, they walk in the door. How many of you know that feeling when you see them, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore this person. You know, you're thinking, well, are they going to see me? Probably they saw you. I mean, if you're there and as you're hidden behind a plant, probably they're going to see you, right? Like, oh, I'm, should I say something? What should I do? I just won't say anything. But in moments like that, when your love, the love that Jesus is talking about for enemies should kick in. Moments like that when you should say and I should say, you know what, I'm going to be the first one to be kind. I'm going to I'm going to respond. See, God is teaching us here to respond. God will honor that and, and he'll reward you for the mercy that you show others. It's an act of mercy. And so this is really something that we have to live out. You know, you have to figure out what this means for you. But this is something you've got to live out. Maybe when at the beginning, when I asked the question, do you have an enemy? Or have you ever had an enemy? Maybe you thought of someone. And maybe you thought, okay, well, I'm just kind of glad that's in my past. That's behind me. But you know what? You might have another one. This is something we all encounter. This is something we're all going to encounter. Because it's not just about something that happened months ago or years ago. This is going to happen to you tomorrow, next week, the, you know, next year. How will you respond when someone does wrong to you? That's the question that we need to answer. Students are going back to school, right? In a few days. Sorry, kids, it comes quickly, doesn't it? Back when I was in school, how many of you remember? And that's not going to be that many of you because it's a while back. But I remember school started after Labor Day. Now it starts in, in August. It's like, that's not fair, guys. I'm sorry, you know. We always ended before Memorial Day and started after Labor Day. But whatever. You, know, you got to go back to school. And, and in school, people are going to talk. How many of you know that happens in schools, right? Gossip. Did you know that? I know it's shocking. Bad mouthing, making fun of people, making fun of teachers. And maybe you'll be the target of some of that talk. Maybe somebody will say something about you, the way you look how you dress, where you live, whatever. They don't need a good reason. The question is, how will you respond? Will you just give it back? Because that's what everybody expects. You just give it back. Or will you love people and be kind to them and do good to them and pray for them? In the schools, students, you're also called to do that. So love your enemy. Don't hate your enemy. Love your enemy. Pray for them. Do good to them. Greet them. Be kind to them. This is what we're called to do. 
I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we live in such an angry and offended society. And we need help because we're tempted to be just like everybody else in this angry and offended society. We need your help to be, or not to be like everyone, but to be obedient to your word, to follow your commands. Lord, I know one thing. I don't have the capacity to love others who treat me wrong. Without you and your help, I lack the capacity to forgive without you. And so we don't try to do it without you, but we ask you to fill our hearts with your love and compassion. Lord, I pray that you would give us the right words, place the right words in our mouths to say, and the right attitude in our hearts to hold when we're cursed, when we're mistreated, when we're persecuted by our enemies. And Lord, I know when we do this that you'll take care of the rest. You fill in the gaps because so often we think, if I don't say something, then this will be left unsaid and they'll continue to take advantage of me. But God, you say, no, I'll take care of the rest. I'll fill in the gaps. You don't have to be angry like people in society. You don't have to be angry like politicians are angry. You can respond in love. Lord, that's what we want to learn to do. As individuals and as a church, that's what we want to learn to do. Help us to be obedient and to leave everything else to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.